Turn with me to Philippians 1. Um, as you turn there, back in November, as my wife and I, uh, man, really felt that coming to pastor here was something that the Lord was calling us to do, I began to immediately ask, uh, what, what would be the first thing we study together? What would be, what, what subject, what theme? I mean, I didn't want to go over mission and vision for five weeks. Like, I didn't want to be here five weeks going Point Brevard County to Jesus, Point Brevard County to Jesus, like, because Bayfront was already doing that. Like, that was already Bayfront's mission and vision. Like, you had already been taught that. You are already doing that. And my prayer for you is that you will continue to keep doing that even here is Cross Point Coast. And so you, 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 we'd already began to do this. So I started to pray, God, would you, what as a people in 2021 is, is a moment for us to begin this journey on together? What would, what, would, what would we look back on five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later and say, that was a pillar for us. That was a stepping stone for us. That was a mark for us as a church. And the Lord really pressed upon me joy. Joy, right? Joy. And we, we've borrowed this idea, the, the definition from Piper that says that joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty and glory of Jesus in the word and in the world. Joy, it's, it's not an idea or a conviction, right? It's, a, it's, an, it's an emotion, right? But it's not, a, it's not a physical expression, though that's what usually follows it. But it's, a, it's an emotion and it resides in the soul, right? That is why you can weep and still have joy. That is why you can go through what you go through and still have joy because we didn't create it. Right. Nothing material, nothing, no person gave it to us. It is a gift that we've gotten. It is a grace from God that we received. And it's and it's a gift for us to see Christ. Right. To to see him, that as we read his word, that as we experience his world, we see him in everything and that increases our joy. We see him in nature. We see him in everything. Everything communicates something of him, something, something, never the whole picture, but something. Family, think on your week. I bet you can point to so many moments you've experienced something of God. Because you have joy, God's joy, then those glimpses of Christ you experience create in you and in I a, a, a longing, a longing, a longing to be with the Lord eternally. And this is our hope. This is our hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's not a guess. It's, it's, it's not a longing for something to be true as if what you are longing for runs the risk of not happening. No, this is confident assurance, right? As, as Titus 1-2 says, what we have is hope in e of the eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. We have a God who promises us before time was time that we'd have eternal life with him, and our God never lies. Amen? Joy. Joy. This is the mark that unites us all. 
the profound, audacious emotion of the whole choir of the saints. In the midst of a world where alternative allegiances are being cast, we choose to be united in our joy in the Lord. In a world where the preached messages of our devices, phones or otherwise, is instant gratification, we choose the slow and steady grind of delighting in the Lord in spaces and places of contention and struggle where in them lies the desire or the intention too of our breaking, of our destruction. We see the joy of Christ in those things making us more like him joy we are in it because we are in Christ we we do you see the language we it's not me it's not you it's we we our text today will show us that the fellowship we have with one another should stir our joy in the Lord The letter to the church at Philippi is a joy-filled letter with thanksgiving and encouragement. The book is filled with amazing, uh, theologically deep truths that are steeped in Paul's love for this body. And, and, And some of you have memorized texts from this book. You've memorized that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus or uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. But Paul's intention in writing this letter is to thank the church at Philippi for their faithful fellowship. As Paul awaits trial in prison, miles and miles away, they have sent him provisions of which he is thankful for But he doesn't just say thank you. He encourages them with a few essays and a poem. In chapter 1 specifically, Paul's encouragement is centered around Philippi's joy in fellowship with one another that is grounded in their true joy in Christ. Paul will teach us this morning that because we are together in Christ, we are to have each other in our minds in our hearts, and in our prayers. Those will be our three areas of focus this morning. So let's read God's word. Let's pray and see what he has for us today. Philippians 1, starting in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace. That's joy, right? Remember? From our God, our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear 
God, we thank you for the gift of your word. It is perfect. It is yours. And it is to us. God, we thank you that we can learn from it, that we can hear your voice in it, that it can encourage us, that it can rebuke us, that it can correct us, and it can lift us up. We pray for the congregation to receive your word this morning and to give me grace for my errors as you would give me the strength to communicate your word and not lean on my own. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the year 2000, in Canada, two young women, Naima and Saida, who were neighbors in college, became really good friends. Really, really good friends. In a happy coincidence, the two women also became pregnant at the same time. And both babies were girls. As the two women grew closer in their friendship, life became more difficult. One of the women, uh, one of them, of, one of the women, sorry, moved from Canada to California, and eventually the other moved to Virginia. They lost touch with each other and never heard from each other again. Fast forward to 2016. Another pair of young women entered their freshman year at Berkeley, and the two hit it off well. Both were studying pre-med, both were Moroccan, both were Canadian natives, they had a lot in common. Their relationship was going so well, they moved in together their sophomore year. And when one of them was FaceTiming with their mother, the other thought it'd be a good idea for the two moms to meet. Thus, a profound relationship was rekindled. That was their daughters. When Naima and Saida finally met in person after 16 years of not hearing from each other, their first words were spoken in tears. I missed you so much. I give you this story to illustrate the bonds that can be formed between people. And today we can easily see relationship with one another through a distorted lens. Oftentimes relationships are surface level. Interactions never meant to dig too deep. Uh, don't, don't, don't ask me those questions. Sometimes they can be for the benefit of one another and not birthed in service to, but rather to receive from. In this case, the relationship only goes as far as its usefulness. In other situations, deep roots leave deep wounds. Thus, bitterness and resentment form until deep regret has its say, oftentimes coming too late for reconciliation. But such is not the case for Philippi. Not even in our touching story of reuniting sisterhood is the case for Philippi. See, what I find truly fascinating of the detail of this church is its social context. The city of Philippi was a Roman colony known for its patriotic nationalism. But the identity as the identity of that city grew more and more into what it was. The church at Philippi's identity became something else and grew more and more and more. They became a fellowship of the unashamed, a fellowship that surpasses in depth of any earthly friendship. In his book, Life Together, the classic exploration of Christian community, that is a must read, by the way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer continues this reality with these sentences. He says, what determines our brotherhood is what that man is by reason of Christ. 
our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to the both of us. This is true not merely at the beginning, as though in the course of time something else were to be added to our community. It remains so for all future and to all eternity. I have community with others and shall continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. The more genuine and deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another Holy for eternity. In other words, what Bonifer is saying is that our fellowship with one another is rooted in Christ. And because so, our fellowship is deeper than any outward allegiance we may have. And there is even more good news than that. The timeline of our brotherhood. It's eternal. He says something else I think it's important that leads us to our points, though. He says... We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ, do we have one another holy, holy, not holy, holy for eternity. Family, it is easy. It is easy, so easy to believe that our joy is made full by the shallowness of our fellowship. This is a lie. One of the greatest detractors of our kinship is individualism or self-centeredness. Look at our example in Philippi. Paul never rebukes them. If you read the entire letter, there's no rebuke. In fact, his motivation for writing their encouragements was birthed by their selflessness and mutual affection for each other. Paul, the great grace dealer, is actually on the other end. He is not giving the grace. He is responding to it. But Bonhoeffer says something else important for our study. He says, the more genuine and deeper our community becomes, the more everything else between us will recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. The blockbuster hit Avengers Endgame. You can laugh. It was the culmination of 12 years Of work resulting in 24 movies leading up to a single climax in which two highly coveted words that Captain America speaks were spoken. He gives the army a call to action. He says, Avengers assemble. That's deep. That's deep. Let me make my case. Because you don't have to be a lover of comic books to understand what he means in that moment. You don't have to have seen the previous movies beforehand or know the phrase's historical significance to the importance of these characters. You don't need to know any of that. But what you do know immediately at first watch, having no context involved, is that what he is doing is calling everyone to come to his aid, his fellowship, if you would, saying we have a job to do. We have a singular mission together. I tried to do it alone and I couldn't. I tried to do it with some 
some help and I couldn't. I need you all. Family, we have a similar job. We have a job to do. Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the gospel is our job. What united those heroes together closed the gap in their nationality, closed the gap in their heavy disagreements, closed the gap in their own ambitions, and they submitted it to serve the purpose. Family, I tell you this morning, serve the purpose together. Do not let the things that should recede between us grow into chasms too deep to cross. How does a community become more genuine and deep? How can that be a reality for us? Well, here we learn from Pastor Paul. He says, have each other in our minds. Philippians 1 verse 3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Picture Paul in prison. Paul in prison awaiting his trial. There is no man like him. No one has ever been more frustrating to a government. In the entire world. In his life, he's dedicated it wholly to the service of Christ and considers death a welcome necessity to gain Christ more completely. Rome had no idea what to do with him. But in a moment where grace has afforded you some selfishness to wonder on your own potential demise, Paul is not in prison focused on himself. He is thinking of the church. He is thinking of Lydia and her family, the jailer and his, the little slave girl of Syntyche, of Timothy and Silas. Paul is longing for his fellowship with him. And that thought of them produces joy in him. As one commentator puts it, Paul has no dash of bitter in his cup with his memory of them. And why is this? Well, Paul says, because of your partnership in the gospel. That word partnership is everything. Partnership is rooted in grace. It's a grace that connects us all together. This is why our membership material here at Cross Point is not called membership. It's called partnership. Because we are together in the gospel, working for the gospel, connected to each other by the gospel. How is this possible? Well, our identity. Our identity. I love our prayer of confession and we will continue to do it. But hear me when I say this too often, especially in reform circles, the rhetoric in which we regard ourselves and of each other is sinner and sinner alone. That's it. I'm a wretch. I'm a sinner. Even though these circles that we run in tend to have a high focus On context of scripture, we do ourselves a disservice, I think, sometimes when we've taken the 15th verse of the first chapter of Paul's letter to Timothy and let it stand alone. It reads, saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came to save, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's true. Accept it. Christ came to save the sinners. But Paul adds an emphasis. He says, of whom I am the foremost. 
And there some of us have taken this and ran with it. Some of us have admired the humility of Paul so much that our state of sinner and saint, two sides of the same whole, is forgotten. And sinner is all that remains. You miss the context of the entire letter, of the entire chapter, of those thoughts in those sections of verses. I mean, if you continue reading in verse 16, he says, but I received mercy for this reason. That in me, emphasis, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. Paul's purpose in calling himself the chief of sinners was to show his depravity, yes. Also to exemplify his humility, yes. More than anything, he emphasizes himself as the foremost to emphatically declare Christ's power. Christ's power to turn a sinner into a saint. He does so for the purpose of the chapter to highlight with great conviction and great emphasis that Christ came for the sinners. Of which we all are and we all participate in it. However, Paul's state changes. He goes from I am chief of sinners and exchanges it for I am a receiver of mercy. This is a change we must also make regarding ourselves and each other. Hear me now, I'm not saying you do not sin. Yes, we grapple with our frame. We are both sinner and saint. But God did not stop at sinner with you. What does this communicate to the unbeliever? God wants you and he doesn't want to change you. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. Does Paul greet in verse 1 this church to all the sinners in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi? No. No, he doesn't. See, if we see each other as saints in Christ, we are able then to connect to each other differently. Where is your identity, family? Where do you see your fellowship's identity? As you think on that, let me answer it for you. Caught up in Christ. Caught up in Christ. We are saints because God is no liar. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. My, my. Family, that work, that one that God began in you and will continue to complete, that work, it's done in fellowship. It's done in fellowship. As Bob Thune says in his book, Gospel-Centered Community, we are created for community, redeemed for community, and transformed in community. Be encouraged, family. Look around you. Do it. Look around you. Be sanctified in the safety and presence of your fellowship. Have each other in our minds, Paul says. And then he says, have each other in your hearts. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you. It's about to get weird. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ.
Do not be weirded out by holy, joy-triggered affection. Paul says it's right. It's right. It's right that I would feel this way for you. Paul's affection for these people is informed by the grace in which we are partakers of. Notice the writing. Promise I won't do as much Greek as I did last week. Partakers in partnership. They share the same root word in Greek. But now this word partakers, it is action bound. It is the difference between someone who attends a dinner and someone who attends and eats the dinner. You see? We have a partnership. Now he says, you are partakers with me. Only Paul is saying to be a partaker is to be a partner in carrying on in the mission. I point you to the illustration of the Avengers. All of us together working toward the goal, contending for the gospel and for each other. Family, the depth of our relationship, of our relationship, I'm talking about everyone in this room together, not outside the room. It applies that way too, but let's focus on this. The depth of our relationship in this room is determined by our out. Our working toward the goal together with affection for each other. Paul was imprisoned for the gospel. And the church at Philippi fellowshiped with him as they were imprisoned with him, not literally, but by way of their contribution. You see that? As Paul is imprisoned, they also, also embrace imprisonment. By fellowship with him, by fellowshipping with him and contributing to his needs. They supported Paul in his chains out of love and commitment to the gospel that bounded them up together in grace. Do you see it? Do you see it? Perhaps you cannot because you haven't experienced this. When one of us is struggling, we are all struggling. When one of us is in need, we are all in need. Though some of us may have plenty, you express your togetherness with the needing party by meeting the needs. Paul had no provisions while he was in jail. But distance did not stop the church. They pursued Paul, heard of his imprisonment, and sent one of their own to take provisions to him. Oh, having each other in our thoughts is not enough. Having each other in our minds is not enough. We need to have each other in our hearts. We need to stoke the fire of affection. We are in each other's hearts. We will move mountains to make sure that we are, as Bonifer says, holy together. I've experienced this among you already. You not only have thought of my family during our transition here, you've served us with your resources, you've served us with your time, you've served us with your strength. You have kept us in our, in your hearts, as we do with you. Church, as your pastor, I say continue. 
continue. Continue to have each other in your hearts. Continue to stoke the affection we have for each other, even to the degree of Paul. Look how Paul calls God as a witness to attest for his yearning. Verse 8, for as God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Family, don't believe that this example is unique to Philippi. This brotherly fellowship, this community of love and affection bound up together by the gospel for the gospel's work is accessible now. This isn't some cult. This is the church. This isn't some Greek speaking weirdos. This is the church. This isn't some lofty example, impossible in 2021 because of today's societal standards. No, this is for us now. Can you see this? Like in our story of Naima and Sida, time will come for us. Time will come for us. And some of us will move away. And distance will keep us physically apart. But no matter where we are placed on the globe, may our affection for each other be Pauline as his affections were Christ-like. Let's hold each other in our hearts, remembering our partnership together in the gospel. But Paul continues still. It's not enough to have each other in our minds. It's not enough to have each other in our hearts. We should keep each other in our prayers. Go back up to verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine. For you all are making my prayer with joy. This is a prayer made with a smile. Have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed to God with a full smile? Not because some need was satisfied. Not because God gave you something or you made a request and it was satisfied. That's not the reason why Paul is smiling here. No, Paul smiles here for the people. When Paul thought of his church family, he smiled. His heart was full with gladness. But if I can call your attention to the example of Paul in this way too... Paul rarely thanked God for things. Even when receiving this provision, he did not thank God for the food or the change of clothes, though I'm sure he did. But here and in his other letters, he thanks God for the people. Out of 13 letters he wrote, nine of them contain thanksgiving and love for the people. And even in the ones where he didn't pray a prayer of thanksgiving, he spoke about them. With love and affection. And in this case, his love for them has stirred joy. Family, if you have true joy, and if your fellowship is in your mind and in your heart, they'll be in your prayers too. And you'll make these joyous petitions to God. We've said, joy is a God-given emotion. And so Paul's prayer for this church is an emotional one. We've also said joy could never be robbed. It could never be stolen or lost. Paul is joyful in prison. In prison. Joy. And writes this thank you. In the beginning of this letter to begin it with a high note of joy for the church's increase in it. Paul has them in his mind and his joy is stirred. He has them in his heart. Joy informed affection. Look how Paul prays for them down in verse 9. 
It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul prays that they would abound in love, but this love has no object. Have you noticed? It doesn't say that your love of God may increase or your love of each other may increase, but he doesn't need to say that to mean it. See, Paul is a learned man. He knows that our commandments in both the old and the new are centered around love, love for God and love for each other. Paul knows this. He knows that the vertical love comes first and the horizontal love comes second. It's always in this order. So when Paul prays for unbounding love, he means in all directions. See, when I was young on hot summer days in New Jersey, the adults of the neighborhood would take a wrench to the fire hydrant. And it would loosen it so that the water would shoot out into the street. But nobody could have fun if the water was just shooting out horizontally. Because what does it do? It like shoots out and then it falls into the street. And then you got 20 kids there and we're like, okay. But one of the neighbors would take this thick wooden board and he would put it around the hydrant and position the water up. Oh, you're not hearing me this morning. He would position the water up in order for there to be love that covers over people in your life. In order for you to have true joy filled with the affection for neighbor, your joy, your affection has got to be pointed up. Only then can it cover everyone around you. This is the unbound love that Paul is talking about. However, it is not a reckless, uninformed love. What does he say after? It's a love that's filled with knowledge and discernment. Some of y'all were waiting for this. Some of y'all were looking around like, don't you be loving on me all crazy. I'll cut you. (laughs) I got an amen, finally. (laughs) This affection, this joy-filled love is inspired by the knowledge and love And joy we have in God. Joy in fellowship is rooted in joy in Christ. Just as love love for the saints is rooted in our love for Christ. This is why he prays for knowledge and discernment. Family, chase Christ and you'll learn how to love your neighbor well. Chase Christ and you'll learn how to love your neighbor well. Love Christ who loved you first, and that will inform how to express the affection for the church in a way that'll produce affection in return. He says, I pray you have unbound love filled with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Be pure and blameless for when you stand before Christ with the fruit of righteousness that is his to the glory and praise of God. Oh, Paul is praying for the readiness, the readiness of the church at Philippi for the great day of Christ. What Paul exemplifies here is for all of us to learn and model well in our fellowship. It is not wrong to pray for employment or pray for healing or pray for each other's children. But if that's all we're doing, then we've missed the point. If the love of God has truly been unbound in us, 
and our joy in the Lord has truly made its way to our neighbors here in this body, then we need to pray that we grow in joy, grow in love, grow in discernment, grow in our knowledge of God, which from all these things are made possible. We need our lives to be a doxology to the glory of God as we are joyously committed to his glory. And we need to pray this for each other and pray this over our children as well. Listen, I'll finish here. We close this series on joy together with a study on what it means to be joyous about our togetherness. Everyone in my family brings me great joy. And so it is already with this family, too. This fellowship we have with one another stirs my joy and joy in the Lord. If you placed your faith in him, I want to share something important with you. There is joy to be had in fellowship. I've made that case to you and I will not argue it further. God is no liar. And you heard his voice speak through the scriptures today. But some of you have been burned by fellowship. Some of you have been hurt. When you opened yourself up and made yourself vulnerable, you received such a wound that fear has made its way into your heart. That you may never be that way again. I understand this. I've experienced it myself. My wife has too. We're still healing from wounds ourselves. Wounds that were made by community. But I'll tell you what. The best medicine, the best medicine for you is not time. It's not time. Might actually do worse for you. The best medicine for you is not time, it's community. It's people. Where God had allowed, this is a personal experience, where God had allowed the church to create hurt in me. He used church to heal me. You are all a part of this now. Find healing and rest in Christ and he will make the medicine plain to you. And sometimes it may not be the thing thing you think you need, but rather what he has made ready for you.